He paid the price for our sins. He paid the price for our diseases. That's the real Jesus. And tonight I've got somebody that preaches the real Jesus. I met Brother Thurman here about a year ago. So I went to, I've been hearing about this, this Baptist <laughs> that was preaching the real Jesus. <laughs> and he was getting people healed. Wow. And, I, and, and so I went to one of his meetings and I had saw all these people stand up and they were talking about getting healed and getting healed and getting healed. And I got to meet him and, and spent some time with him and had him in one of our meetings. And, and I, I, I saw the, the purity of heart. I saw the incredible testimony that he had, the anointing that he carries. He's one of the few people that I've met that can literally hold your attention for several hours. And you're sitting there thinking, let's go on. Let's go on. And because he has so many stories of healings. And, and, and I've seen firsthand this man of God. I've seen the miracles. Uh, he, he's latched on to a truth that you do not hear very often, and that is there is a connection between sin and disease. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I think sometimes we, we, we want to gloss over. And, and, and he's latched on to some things. That's why faith doesn't work sometimes. Because faith, if you have sin in life and you try to just apply faith to it, it doesn't work. And then we wonder why the faith movement doesn't, mm-hmm. right, and people get, mm-hmm. get prayed for. Mm-hmm. All these things, I believe, Brother Thurman Scribner from Justin, Texas, who's a simple, he was an engineer, simple, spirit-filled Baptist. God is beginning to open doors. He's, he's going to be uh, speaking at um, Bill Gothard's. He's been asked by Bill Gothard now to come and speak to thousands of Baptists and people who normally do not believe and not been taught healing. Mm-hmm. God is opening some phenomenal Praise doors. So I, I, told, I, said, I asked Brother Thurman, I said, will you come with me to West Texas? He graciously said he, said he would. And so I said, I'm going to turn you, turn you loose, Brother Thurman, on West Texas. And, and Welcome, so sir. Here he is. Praise the Lord, brother. Turn loose. Set us free. I guess I'll, I'll start off by telling you a little bit about how I got into this since mm-hmm. I was an engineer. One thing that's so wonderful that everybody really needs to know that it's so easy for me to believe the Word of God because I was raised up in a good family. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most important thing that I had was a mother and father that loved each other that never had an argument that I knew of. I mean, they were married at least 55 years. Uh, Daddy went home to be with the Lord when he was 79, and maybe it was a little more than 55 years, but anyway, it was 56 or 7 or somewhere along there. And then my dad went home to be with the Lord at 79, and then at 83, my mother went home to be with the Lord. But those two people were the most loving Christian people, and especially my mother. You know, she prayed for me, but my mother, like my dad, never dreamed of what was really in this book, although they read it and studied it all the time, especially my mother. But anyway, by having a great mother and a mother and a father that didn't argue that if they told me they would do something for me, I knew they always meant what they said. So it was easy for me to trust them. And so, therefore, since God was supposed to be my heavenly father, if my earthly dad and earthly mom would always do what they said they would do without any failures, I knew that God, which loved me far more than mother and dad did, 
would do what he said he would do. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I accepted Christ as an 11-year-old boy in Cross Plains, Texas. Really? Yeah, and uh, mother and dad was running some bulldozers up there and working, and we moved up there. We were there about three years, and while we were there, while I was 11, I accepted Jesus right there in the First Baptist Church in Cross Plains, Texas. And, uh, so anyway, I, that was my beginning of my walk with the Lord. I didn't have any idea what my walk was going to consist of, but I continued to go to church and serve the Lord and do all the things I thought you're supposed to do as a good Baptist, you know, what I was taught. And they teach us some good things. And so I went through my teenage years, and then uh, when I was about 21, I met this uh, young lady, and uh, when she got out of high school at 18, she and I got married, and we started our walk with the Lord together. Uh, When I met her, she was not saved, but I got her saved because I knew the Word of God says we're not to be unequally yoked. And that's another reason why so many Christians get in so much trouble today, Mm -hmm. because they marry a man or a woman. That's not saved. Mm-hmm. And since they don't know the Word, they get involved with someone that's not equally yoked with them, and then they go through literal hell on earth because they didn't do what the Word of God says. Mm-hmm. But I knew those things even as a young man, so I made sure this girl I thought was going to be the mate for me for life was saved, born again, before I married her. And, of course, she did get saved. And we started our walk together in 1960. And so we began to come along, and as I came along, of course, it wasn't long. We went in business for ourselves, and we went to church and served the Lord, but we didn't see, you know, we just, typical Baptists, you know, we didn't know God was a miracle worker, and we never saw him do anything, and we never saw him heal anybody, do any miracles. This had been standard all of my life, so I just thought you went to church, served the Lord, read his book at home, you know, and that was what it was all about. One of these days, you'd die and go to heaven. And uh, pretty well what I'd been taught in the Baptist church. So I tried to walk holy before God as best I could. Well, then after I went to Vietnam to the war and came back, I decided to go back to school. And I went to school and, and graduated. I became an f- engineer in the airline industry. And I, began, I came back to Dallas to begin to teach uh, engineering for Braniff International Airlines. And I did that for a few years. And, of course... While I was there, I remember going to a Baptist church to teach us how to win somebody to Christ. I mean, I didn't know how. And that's why we don't get people saved is because we don't know how to do things. Mm -hmm. You cannot go beyond knowledge of any subject, whether it be engineering or whatever it is. I trained myself well in engineering because I could teach systems on a Lockheed Electra or a DC-8, and I knew the airplane inside out, upside down, and backwards because I'm training the flight crew. And they got to know what they're doing, and I can't be wrong. And so, as I'm going along here, learning these things, when I went to this little seminar for a week, and at the end of the week, they gave us a little yellow button to put on our shirt, and it didn't have any outlets to it, you know, just a little maze. And I said, what's this for? And they said, you wear this to work next week, and somebody will ask you what that means. And when they ask you, you're to tell them, that's to remind you to tell them about the best thing that ever happened to you, and that's when you got saved. Mm. Well, I had a week of training first on how to lead somebody to Jesus. You know, we spent time practicing on each other. But the first Monday morning I put that little yellow pin on my shirt and went to work, I was petrified. (laughs) You know, you've never done this before. Mm -hmm. So I was literally petrified. Now, here I am, a grown man, an engineer instructor, 
I have no problem standing before 30 graduate engineers teaching them formulas and all these things, but to talk to you about the Word of God, it petrified me because I knew so little about it. The Lord was training me for something I had no clue. I went through all week and nobody asked me about the pen. You're kidding. Well, Friday afternoon, graduating class of a group of engineers, 30 men. By this time, I'm comfortable. You know, the first day I was petrified. The second day I was a little less petrified. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, I was just comfortable. I walked in. I taught the class. At the end of the day, I said, anybody have any last questions before we take the final exam? One guy held his hand up and I just, yes, sir, what's your question? He said, you've been wearing that little pin on your shirt every day this week. What does that mean? Now I'm standing right in front of 30 engineers. I mean, surely somebody could have asked me out in the hall one-on-one. But no, God put me in a place to really put me to the test. So I just kind of wilted and I said, this is to remind me to tell you about the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And that was the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I said, has that ever happened to you? And he said, no. Well, gee, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Now what, Lord? (laughs) Now what, Lord? Now what do I do? So I told him, I said, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's go ahead and take the final test. And after class, I'll talk to you about this. So anyway, I got to talk to many of the men after the class about Christ one-on-one. But that was the beginning point for me. They were interested, weren't they? They were interested. Yes, sir, they were. They were interested, and so I got to talk to several of them about Christ from that because they knew I knew my subject in engineering so well. Some of them believed me, and some of those men did get saved over the next few days, and I was so grateful to the Lord. But anyway, as I went on, I continued to study the Word of God and serving the Lord as a Baptist and all these things, and then, of course, later I moved from uh, Braniff uh, to another airline in New York, and I flew for them And as I was flying as a pilot, DC-8s all over the world. had the opportunity to share the Word of God with lots of different pilots and flight members. And I flew there a couple of years, and then I went over to Europe and flew for Atlantis for a couple of years until they went bankrupt. And then I came back to the States. I went to work for American Airlines as a simulator instructor teaching avionics on their 707s. And there I got to share the Lord with several people, and I began to become bolder and bolder with the Word of God. I'm studying this book, and as I'm studying this book, then I was asked to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, when the gentleman, Brother Wayne Galbraith there in Louisville, Texas, asked me to be a Sunday school teacher, I told him, I said, Now, Brother Wayne, I understand God's not supposed to make any mistakes. But if he wants me to be a teacher of his word, he's made a mistake. See, we don't see ourselves like God sees us. And so anyway, I, Brother Wayne told me, he said, you go home and pray about this. But said, every time I pray about this, your name keeps coming up. I went home, prayed about it, and I come home and told, come back to church and told him, I said, I'll do this. But I can't do this. But I'll let God do it through me. And so I took up teaching a couple Sunday school class. Well, I now realize that in engineering, I had to study hundreds and hundreds of hours to teach my subjects. Well, now that was my problem with the Word of God. I had never studied it hundreds and hundreds of hours. I'd spend 30 or 40 minutes reading a Bible study lesson that we're going to have on Sunday morning. Somebody else is teaching it. But now I'm going to be the teacher. (laughs) Now then the burden is put on me. So I started studying 5, 10, 15 hours a week to teach a 45-minute Sunday school class. Well, I don't know if they learned anything, but I began to. 
So as I begin to learn these things, I begin to see this owner's manual we call the Word of God in a new light. I thought, my lands, there's statements in here, there's promises in here. There's statements in here that tells me if I don't do these things, what's going to happen to me? There's statements in there that if I do these things, the blessings are going to come upon me. Well, I had never been taught all these things. So since I've been used to teaching aviation, and I had to know the owner's manual precisely, and especially when I started flying, I had to know the emergency procedures Immediately, because if you're running down the runway at 100 knots and depending on the weight load and everything, and you start to rotate an airplane and you have a light come on and you've already passed the point of no return, you don't have time to get the owner's manual out and flip to the emergency procedures to see what to do. Well, now that's what we do in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. We don't study it. And then when the enemy comes by and puts a sickness on us or starts to destroy us or something, well, we don't know what the emergency procedures say, so we don't know how to come against him with the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Well, now that's where I was. And so, as I began to study this book in detail for 10 years, I mean, I'm spending 5, 10, and 15 hours a week studying this book for at least 10 years. There is a Dr. Ben Smith, that was still the pastor of... Uh, Lakeland Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. I served as a Sunday school teacher under him and a deacon and everything else. And I always told him, I said, I considered myself to be a normal Southern Baptist. And he says, no, Thurman, you were never a normal Southern Baptist. I said, well, Dr. Ben, what do you mean by that? He said, Thurman, every time the doors open to the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're here. He said, you teach a Bible study class, you serve as a deacon. If we need an usher to fill in, you're always there. If we need you to do anything, we need the buses maintained, you always take care of the buses for us, take care of them all by yourself. He said, anything we ask you to do, you're doing it. He said, you're never normal. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I thought this is what a normal Christian was supposed to do, mm -hmm. all these wonderful things. But still, I had never heard from God. I had never heard anybody say they'd ever heard God's voice or anything. But out of my diligence, I believe with all my heart, this is why the Lord chose me, because I, you know, was just serving him with all my heart, never expecting what was going to happen in the future. But a few years went by, and then 26 years ago, I'm 65 now, but 26 years ago, the Lord, I was sitting there studying the Word of God one night, and I've got a reason I can remember these dates, because I had a two-year-old son, and a brand new baby girl that was just a month old. She was born in May, and it was in the month of June, 26 years ago. And the king of the universe, Jesus, literally, just like he walked into my study, I could not see him, but he walked in and spoke to me. And I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that night. And, of course, I can remember that night like it was yesterday or today even. I had my Bible open to Deuteronomy. I was in chapter 6. I come to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. When I read that, the king spoke to me and said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. I heard that just as clear as I heard it right then with my own ears as I spoke it myself. It so startled me, I turned to see who had walked in to, spoke, to speak to me. Of course, there was no one there. And then I recouped what I had heard. Son... Pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. I realized that was our king. 
And so with these two brand new babies, and Moses was telling the children of Israel what they needed to do in the next few verses if they wanted their children to walk with God. Boy, I took those to heart that night. And for the first time in my life as a Southern Baptist, I started reading the Word of God to my children every night and began to live the example before those children and my wife that God would expect me to do. I watched every word that came out of my mouth. I made sure there was not a derogatory statement came out of my mouth. That every statement I made would bring glory and honor to the king. I tried to be as good to my wife and as my children as I possibly could. But I knew that still I had to raise these two little children up. And I had to make sure they walked with God. And sometimes that required me to be a little stern with them. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they grew up to be two fine children. As I did that, two years later, I had another awesome experience with God. I was working for the Marriott Corporation as a regional engineer for the in-flight food division, which used to be. It's no longer. They sold it. But I was a regional engineer taking care of about a fourth of the United States for them. And I had went down to Houston, Texas that morning to go by the Houston operation to check on a building. I had got off the airplane, and when I got off, I thought our corporate office for that region was in Houston at that time, and I thought I need to run by the corporate office and do my paperwork for the last several weeks. But I thought I'd just run on out to the job site right quick, and I thought I went out there, and i done that, and forgetting to go by there to do the paperwork, I'm in out there. I'm out there under 20,000 pounds of steel checking some things, looking at some things, and I'm out there all by myself. All of a sudden, I hear this voice. It says, son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. I said, yes, Lord, that's right. I did. I said, but I'll run right back over there and do it. I said, I like about 15 minutes under here, and then I'll go do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. I said, okay, Lord. I laid down my stuff I was working with. I crawled out from under there, and I stood up and took the second step, and the supporting structure holding the 20,000 pounds of steel exploded. And 20,000 pounds of steel was laying flat on the ground where I was five seconds before. I was trembling. You can only imagine. Mm. I was trembling, and I looked up, and I said, Father... That verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen has just taken on an entirely new revelation to me. I am not my own. I bought with a price. I said, I belong to you. You're the potter and I'm the clay. Now, I don't have a clue what you're going to mold this piece of clay into. I don't have a clue. But I said, Father, you saved my life right there by speaking to me. I said, I'll go anywhere and do anything you tell me to do. And I meant that. And he knew I meant that. That drove me even to a closer walk with the Lord and a closer checking of the mm-hmm. Word of God. Mm-hmm. I begin to take the Word of God apart. Now, you've got to realize as a Southern Baptist, now it doesn't make any difference what denomination you're in. A lot of people have never heard God's voice. Right. Lots of them. Right. But I had never in my life ever heard anybody say that I'd heard the voice of God. And I've been in church all of my life. And so anyway, now why God chose me to speak to me, I don't know. You know, he's God. Last time I checked, he's the CEO of the universe. And next time I check, he'll still be the CEO (laughs) of the universe. And we all work for the king, right? That's right. He does what he wants to do. And so I'm studying this book about faith now. I'm trying to learn 
what faith is. So I'm studying faith and I'm running upon these powerful scriptures. Ask anything in my name with no doubt in your heart and I'll do it for you. I thought, Lord, if those are true, if I could believe you, I could literally have anything that's in accordance with your will, of course. And Mm -hmm. if you want to know what God's will is, you read his last will and testament. That's right. And then you know. I mean, I'm not going to say like somebody comes in and say, okay, if you believe that, just ask for God to let me win the lottery next week. No, 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 no. no. That's not what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I know that. So I'm not going to ask for no crazy things like that. But anyway, as I'm studying faith, just a little bit later, a couple of years after the incident in Houston, my wife and I were going home to see my mother and dad one Friday night. And we had a little 71 Toyota. It's about five or six years old, and I had bought it brand new. And we were right in Granbury, Texas, when the little engine began to sputter, and it quit. And it, again, it was 9 o'clock at night on Friday night. I just coasted into a little shopping center there with some street lights, and stopped and got out and opened the hood. And I had a few little tools with me, and I took the gas line off, and I said, Honey, turn the starter over, and she did, and no gas came out. I said, oh, shoot, here I am in Granbury, Friday night at 9 o'clock with a foreign car with no parts houses open. I said, what am I going to do, Lord? It's amazing how we talk to God and we don't realize he's listening. <laughs> I'm sure you've done that a few times in your life yes. like me. And he spoke to me again in an audible voice. He said, son, did I not tell you in my word to ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you? Wow. I said, yes, Lord, that's what you said. He said, well... I said, okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to provide enough gas for this car to run 50 miles an hour till I get my wife and daughter, I mean my wife and my children, home. And we were two miles from Mother and Dad's home. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. He gave me that supernatural faith, the gift of faith that night. I put that gas line back in, shut the hood, turned around, picked up a payphone, and called Mom. And I said, Mom, we're having just a little bit of car trouble, but everything's under control now. We're going to be just a few minutes late, but we're going to be there. She said, Son, are you sure everything's fine? I said, Yes, we're going to be there. I hung the phone up, put my tools up, got in the car, and reached for the starter. My wife said, What are we going to do? I said, We're going home. She said, I thought you said the fuel pump don't work. I said, It don't. And I hit the starter. <laughs> and it started just like that. She looked at me kind of strange, but she was a good wife. She never questioned me on these kind of things. She just sat there. I pulled out and started down the road, and then for the first time in my life, I heard the devil's voice. I heard an audible voice from the enemy, Mm. and he said, Now, you don't think that God is going to pump gas for an old, wicked guy like you. Well, now, my wife's sitting there. She's not hearing this voice, but she's hearing mine. I said, Devil, I am not going to doubt my God. He told me to believe with no doubt in my heart, and you're not going to deceive me. I'm going to believe, and this car is going to run home. And, of course, it was running beautiful. We drove out to the edge of Granbury, Texas, and the speed limit went up to 55. And so I pushed the throttle down, and the car came up to 50, and that's as fast as it would run. And I thought, this is strange. It's running beautiful, but it'll only run 50. I went up a hill, and as an engineer now, I understand these systems. I went up a hill and topped the hill in high gear at 50 miles an hour. I went down the hill on the other side with a foot feet on the floorboard, and when I got to the bottom, I was running 50. And I thought, no, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense at all. And then it hit me. You said that. I asked for 50. Now, there's uh-huh. a tremendous lesson to be learned right oh, here. Wow. God is a faith God. 
And he gives us what we ask for in faith. Mm -hmm. I learned right there never to ask God for a shotgun blast of anything because you don't get nothing. Mm -hmm. You be specific. You quote his word to him and you tell him what you want exactly. And he'll give it to you Mm -hmm. if you believe him. See, he's training me now to do awesome things. And I don't have a clue what he's doing. Don't have a clue. But every time he drives me back to a closer walk with him and a more in-depth study of the Word of God. I begin to take the Word of God apart line by line, word by word, thinking, what are you saying here, Lord? What do you mean here? So, two years later, which comes up on 1986, now I had never seen a healing in my life as a Southern Baptist, as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and everything. But in 1986, I came home from an out-of-town trip on Wednesday night, Of course, I was a regional engineer for a corporation, so I traveled all over. I came home, and when I came home, my wife met me. She said, Honey, Ed Brock, a good friend of ours at church, she said, He's in the hospital, and I don't think he got a very good report. You need to go see him. So I, okay, so I went right back out and got in my vehicle and drove up to the hospital there in Louisville, Texas. I found his room. I went to the room. I knocked on the door. His lovely little wife, Ruthie, they was just a precious couple. They were, he was 42, and I'm sure Ruthie's about that age at that time. She came to the door, and I said, Ruthie, I said, how's Ed? And she said, Thurman, he's no good. So they opened him up today and looked inside of him, and he has stage 4 lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. There's no hope. Ed will be gone in a few days. As clear as I ever heard, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Son, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him, and I'll heal him. Now, you talk about putting my faith to the test. <laughs> now, see, God is bringing me up through mm-hmm. all these. If he'd have told me this, that had been the first thing he'd ever told me, I could have never, I could mm-hmm. have understood that. Mm-hmm. Not being trained at all what faith was. I didn't have a clue what faith was. But that night as I left there, I remember walking down to Carter looking up and saying, Lord, you didn't hear what she said. She said, he has terminal cancer, Lord, and he's going to die. Now, the Lord didn't say this to me, but I can only see him smile and look down in me and say, mm-hmm. Son, if you ever get a clue of who I am, you're going to take me out of that little tiny box you got me in. But that's where I had him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the way home, I said, Lord, I've got to test every spirit. You told me that in your word. I said, I hear this audible voice. Would you tell me to call the elders of the church a prayer of this man you'll heal him but I said Lord I've been in church all my life and I've never seen this done I said something's wrong with this picture and so I go home that night and for the first time in my life I begin to look up in the word of God under the topic of healing I had never done that till this day up until this time the Lord's building my faith in his word and I'm seeing him do some pretty awesome things now, this is the fourth time he's spoken to me after about two or three hours of study that Wednesday night Looking up my topic under healing, I began to come up on mighty promises in God's Word. A few hours into it, I came up on a magnificent guarantee to the church, but I've come to realize none of us believe it. I don't care whether you're Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, or whatever, we don't believe this book. Either we don't know this book, probably that's part of the problem, and the next one, when we do read these promises, we don't believe them, Mm -hmm. because I certainly didn't. Mm James 5.14, I came upon 
an awesome statement. And James 5, 14, 15, and 16 makes this statement. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the prayer offered in faith. Now, not just any prayer, but the prayer of faith. The prayer, a thorough, believing prayer that's not wavering. Or not if it be thy will, but Lord, it is your will. So you said in your word, Father, in mm-hmm. Jesus' name, heal this man because you said, and it's done. Thank you, Lord, because you wrote it in your word. Mm-hmm. And that's a prayer of faith. Mm-hmm. And he said, the Lord will raise that person up. The Lord will heal that sick person. And then it says, therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. He even says in that verse that if your sickness is due to a sin, the Lord will forgive the sin. So he gives you a complete blank check to heal someone. Then, for the second time in my life, I heard the audible voice of the devil. Satan said, now you don't think he's going to do that for you. He said, besides that, that was just in your subconscious, and you had just read that before, and that wasn't really God speaking to you. Now, I'm totally confused. I don't know if I'm having a mental breakdown. I don't know what's wrong with me, because in the Southern Baptist Church, they don't teach healing. And it's unfortunate, but I think God's getting ready to change that. But anyway, I just went to bed. I didn't know what was happening to me. So between Wednesday and Sunday, I fought a tremendous battle in the spirit realm. And then Sunday morning, I woke up and I told Mama, I said, Honey, I've got to tell somebody. She said, What? I said, I have been hearing God's voice. Well, she said, Well, what's he been saying? I said, honey, he told me this last time to go tell Ed Brock to call the men of the church to pray over him and God would heal him. She said, well, my goodness, honey, if God told you to do that, let's go tell him. I mean, here, she's got more faith than I do, and she's never heard the voice. So praise God for good women. You know, I praise the Lord for these helpmates God give us. So anyway, we went over there Sunday after church that day, and I told Ed what the Lord had showed me in James 5.14. And these were his words. He said, Thurman, I'm 42 years old, and I've been in church all of my life. I have never seen a miracle. I've never seen anybody healed. He said, if that verse, as powerful as that is, still worked, somebody would be teaching us that verse. I said, well, Ed, maybe they're like me. Maybe they didn't know it was in there. I said, he wouldn't believe it. And I said, Ed, would it help if I told you God spoke to me in front of your hospital room last Wednesday night and told me to tell you to do this? He said, you're going to tell me you heard God's voice? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, you must really think I'm crazy. I said, well, Ed, I'm sorry. I did. I heard it. And this verse is for you. He wouldn't believe me. I prayed with him and went home. And over the next two weeks, he's in and out of the hospital, dying. They're pumping his lungs. I go every time he's in the hospital to try to convince him to do what this says. Mm. He refuses. The last time I was there, I told him, Ed, please don't die. God has a promise for you in James 5.14. But he's got a promise for every believer Amen. in James 5.14. Right. We just don't believe it. Anyway, I told Ed, I said, Romans 10.17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. I said, so whatever you do when you get out of this hospital, when you get home, start reading those three verses in James 5.14, 15, and 16 out loud until faith comes. Monday night of the third week, Ed called me. He said, Thurman, I've been reading those verses, and that's what they say. (laughs) See, how does faith come? By hearing God's Word. That's right. So anyway, he called me and told me I'm too weak to call anybody else. If you'll call some of the deacons and have us meet down at Lakeland at the chapel at 7 in one hour, we'll meet and pray. Well, 
I called probably six or eight or maybe seven or whatever men and told them to read those scriptures and then call any other man they wanted to and have them come to the church and be there at seven. And we were going to pray for Ed Brock's miracle healing and come expecting God to do what he promised to do in his word. When I got down there, there was 28 men showed up to pray for Ed Brock. Now, I'm going to tell you. You couldn't get 28 Southern Baptist deacons together in one hour to pray for a sick man, except God be in it if your life depended on it. But I'm grateful God was in it that night because 28 Southern Baptist deacons and men, and some of them were pastors or associate pastors or something from other churches that came. And we prayed for Ed Brock that night. We anointed him with oil. I'd never done that before in my life. In fact, I got tickled at Ed. He says, Thurman, have you ever done this before? I says, no, sir. He said, what's that you got in that sack? I said, it's a bottle of olive oil. He said, where did you get it? I said, at Tom Thumb. <laughs> he said, oh, great, a man that's never done this before with a bottle of olive oil from Tom Thumb, and they think we're going to get healed. Well, all I know is God said, anoint with oil. And then he said the pair of faith would heal the sick. And so it's not the oil. It's, it's Jesus that's going to do the healing. <laughs> so us men, we prayed and anointed him with oil. And we didn't see a single thing happen that night. I've told a lot of people since then, I know why God didn't miraculously instantly heal Ed. Because if he had of he, he would have had 28 heart attacks. <laughs> you got to realize we're Southern Baptists. we got to inch into this thing. You know where I'm coming from, man? I love man? it. So anyway, Ed Brock began to get well. I mean, and in a few weeks, he was much better, and in a few months, he was completely healed of his terminal cancer. Hallelujah. And that was 1986, and Ed Brock, to this day, has never had a reoccurrence of cancer. Glory to God. Ed Brock's still alive today, living in Flower Mound, Texas, today. (laughs) So anyway, these things are building my faith. Now then, I begin to have many other experiences with the Lord, which I don't have time to tell you all of them, because I know we've only got an hour and 15 minutes left. I didn't know what God was doing preparing me for this greatest test of my life. But as I began to get more knowledge of this Word of God, I stepped out in faith to do something that I don't know if there's been very many Baptists ever done this. But five years ago, I decided to start teaching a healing school, how to get people healed. Because ever since the time the Lord had begun to speak to me, He was giving me the revelation I needed from the Word, And he was sending me to people's homes, one-on-one, to minister to them, to find out what their problem was, what their sin was, and to pray the prayer of faith for them. And I saw God over the years heal hundreds and hundreds of people, and nobody ever knew who I was. I was building my treasures in heaven, not even knowing what I was doing. I was just going. I don't know where these people got my name. I never advertised. I never told anybody about this. I never did anything in church. I didn't teach this stuff in church or nothing until 15 years ago when the Lord came to me one Friday night and told me. He said, now, son, uh, he spoke to me again in an audible voice. This is one of the probably 30 times he's spoken to me in the last 26 years. He said, son, I've trained you where I want you to be. I want you to lay down your Southern Baptist quarterly. And I want you to start teaching just my word in your church. And I started doing that. And when I started doing that, what I was teaching was such so powerful from what anybody had ever heard in our Southern Baptist Church. Their faith rose to a new level. 
And it, for the next two or three years, everybody I touched or prayed a prayer over was instantly healed in the name of Jesus. Wow. It became awesome to see mm -hmm. God doing these things. So I got to the point where I thought, wow, I need to start teaching these things to more than just one-on-one. And so I said, I'm, Lord, I'm going to open, I'm going to start a healing school. I'm going to start teaching people and see if anybody will come. Well, I'd have 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people come on a second Saturday of every month in the Metroplex, or in the Dallas-Forth Metroplex. I would start teaching these things, and I would teach you what caused you to be sick, because there's a cause and effect. I realize we don't like to hear this today, but if you're sick, it's because of sin of some kind. Now, people don't like to hear that, but that's the way it is. It can be really, you don't have to be living in adultery to be sick. Yeah. You can just have the sin of unbelief and be sick. Mm -hmm. See, that's what makes it so difficult for us to grasp when I walk in and say, now then, we need to find out what your sin is. Well, I don't have a sin. Oh, yes, you do. I can assure you, you got one, because if you didn't have sin, you wouldn't be sick. Well, we don't like to hear that, but I'm telling you, that's the truth. That's what I've learned. And since I've learned these things, I've learned how to get many people healed, because when they repent of their sins, and then I pray for them, they always get healed. Oh, Where before, as long as the sin remains, the curse remains, and you can't get people healed because if the sin is there, the curse is there because God pronounced the curse. Yeah. And as long as the sin is there, the evil spirit's there, and you can't get him out and get people healed until they repent. And so anyway, as I learned these things, I began to teach these things. And people began to get miraculously healed by the groups. I mean, it's just amazing what I began to see God do. So he became so real to me. I mean, I expected everybody that was sick to be healed. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them didn't because some of them either would lie to me, they would not get their sins confessed, or they didn't have the faith yet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would take one, two, or three healing schools for them to get healed. Mm -hmm. Well, I started making videotapes and audio tapes because... I thought, I can't get around to everybody anymore. And I asked the Lord one night, Lord, how am I going to get around to everybody that needs this? And the Lord spoke to me just as clearly. He said, son, make tapes. So we started videoing my healing schools. And so I started giving the tapes away. I didn't even sell them. Because I thought, Lord, this is your business. You're doing the healing. It's not me. So you said, give and it'll be given to you. So I said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to give everything away. And if this, is, this truly is of you, you're going to give back to me enough money to support the ministry. In all my years, I've never sold nothing. And I've never been in the red, not one time in my ministry. Never. How did the people know to forgive their sins? I, I know I can hear them out there in the TV land saying, I thought I did. Yeah. How do they well, know? Well, the, the thing about it is you have to teach them what sin is. Number one, so many people today have never read the owner's manual, so they don't know what sin is. Most of them don't know the owner. They don't know. So since you don't know what sin is, in fact, to tell you how simple you can miss God, he says in Romans 14:23, anything that's not of faith is sin. So what does that mean? What is faith? I asked that question to the Lord over and over and over. Of course, I could quote Hebrews 11.1 1 to you and all those scriptures. I knew those, but I still didn't have revelation of what faith was. I mean, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. So, well, Lord, if it's impossible to please you without faith, what is it? Well, finally, one day I realized that faith is the word of God. 
So when you know the Word of God, you have faith. Uh-huh. If you don't have the Word of God, you have no faith. Like That's I went so over to minister to a young woman, and she was sick, talking about how to, you know, confess your sin, whatever. There's a young 37-year-old beautiful young lady, sick and afflicted. Her grandmother asked me to come minister to her. And I walked in, and I said, honey, first thing I need to ask you, are you a Christian? She said, yes, sir. I said, do you go to church? Well, she said, not very much. Now, that's a sin. Because the Lord said in his word, Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis. So if you don't go to church on a regular basis, you're technically sinning. You need to be in church. Well, that was her first problem. Then I said, are you a tither? She says, no. I said, well, now that's a sin. Because Malachi 3 says that is the only place in the Word of God, in Malachi 3, where he says, I will not only curse you, but I'll curse you with a curse if you don't give me the first tenth of all of your increase. The average Christian does not believe that because a very small percentage of Christians tithe. So they wonder why their world falls apart, wonder why their car breaks down prematurely, wonder why their washing machine breaks prematurely, wonder why they never have enough money to make it from payday to payday. Well, I lived there for a while until I learned to tithe. And from that day in my own personal life, when I started tithing, I've never had a time without having enough money to meet all my bills. So without knowing what the Word of God says, you can't know what sin is. So, I mean, I know some people that are living out of wedlock with another person and don't think that's sin. Mm -hmm. It's happening in the church, but that's sin. So you've got to teach people first what sin is. And it's not something you can do in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. It's an extended That's period right. of study of the Word of God. Then the Lord says you must walk in love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, if you don't walk in love, that's one of the commandments he told us a half a dozen times in the book of John, in chapters 13, 14, and 15. If you don't walk in love, he said in Galatians 5, 6, your faith won't work. Now then, if you don't have the Word hidden in your heart, like this 37-year-old girl... My next question to her was, honey, do you have faith? She said, I have great faith. I said, then quote to me your favorite healing verse. If you have great faith, you're bound to have at least one. Mm -hmm. Well, she said, I don't know one. I said, well, if you don't know a healing verse, then tell me your favorite verse. She thought a minute. She said, well, I don't know a verse. I said, ma'am, you don't have great faith. You don't have any faith. Mm -hmm. Because without knowing this word, you can't have great faith. You've got to trust the Lord and his word to have great faith. So that's another reason the people are sick and afflicted. Just the sin of lack of knowledge or unbelief in the promises of God will keep you sick and afflicted. You can be the best Christian (laughs) on the block. And in this past year in my church, since I've been teaching on unbelief, I have seen more lovely men and women, Christians, instantly healed when they confess one sin. Lord, I didn't know these promises, and I ask you to forgive me mm. for my unbelief of God's wow. Word. And I have seen people instantly healed, sitting in my service, mm-hmm. instantly right there. I've seen back problems. I've, you name it. And that's the only sin they had. Is they, some of them had read these promises over and over. But they didn't believe them. Mm -hmm. And that is a terrible sin before God because he told the children of Israel, because of your unbelief, none of you will inherit my rest when he was bringing them out of the promised land. And then he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter Mm -hmm. 10, these are examples for us so we don't have this unbelieving heart. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, if you have an evil heart of unbelief, Mm -hmm. 
God looks at a heart of unbelief as evil. Mm -hmm. Wow, so we wonder why we have so many problems in the church. Well, by knowing all these things, I have tried my best to walk in complete perfection of the Word of God. Now, I've come short a few places because so far I know I'm not perfect, but I am working diligently to obtain that place. And he also tells me in his Word in many places to be sinless. Because that's yes, the example I'm to follow. Mm -hmm. His example. And he had no sin. Mm -hmm. And he clearly tells me that. And then Paul tells us clearly in Romans 6 and 7, we're to not sin. God forbid that we should sin. And 1 Peter 2.21 says this is the example I left for you to follow. In me there was no sin. And then he says if you don't have any sin, you don't have any guile or any deceit, and you die to sin and live unto righteousness, then in verse 24 he says, then by my stripes you're healed. There's a requirement to walk in divine health. Now, when I learned all these promises about 20 years ago, and I literally accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I mean not my Lord and Savior, but my Lord and my healer, mm -hmm. when I received Him as my healer 20 years ago, from that day to this, I have never had one sick day. Not one sick minute in 20 years. But I, I obtained all that knowledge from the Word of God. Now, my faith is growing to a tremendous level. Well... As I'm continuing to grow, on October the 13th, 2001, I had the greatest test of my faith I have ever had. In 2001, on October the 13th, that morning, my wife of 41 years and my 24-year-old daughter and my 3-year-old grandbaby and a little 6-year-old girl like a grandbaby that lived in our home, my wife kept her, or my wife and daughter kept her for a friend of ours since she was a baby. She spent more time in our home than she did in her home because her mother was a kind of a traveling computer lady. That little girl became like a granddaughter to me. So I would just love to say those are my two little granddaughters, although one of them was my real granddaughter and the other one was just a really, really close little friend. But that Saturday morning, my wife and daughter got up to go to Brownwood, Texas to visit some of our relatives. I got up to get ready to go teach a healing school over in the Baptist church in Hearst. I left the house about 10 o'clock to get down there to get everything ready to start teaching at 1. At 10.15, a police officer came to my house to look for me, and I wasn't there. They couldn't find me, so they found my wife had a card in her purse from the First Baptist Church in Justin. What had happened, four miles this side of Stephenville, Texas, my wife had had a heart attack, and she died at the wheel and veered into the lane of an oncoming truck and she hit the truck right at the pinnacle of a hill where nobody could see. Mm. As the truck came over the hill, there is this green Oldsmobile right headlights headlights in his mm. and the lady in the truck said she saw another woman, heavy black hair, that was my daughter, reaching over to grab the steering wheel to try to pull the car and they hit headlights mm. to headlights. Mm. The truck was so much bigger that the people, although they took some serious Injuries, but nobody lost their life in the truck. The man had some injuries. The woman busted her foot up, but they, they technically walked away with very minor injuries. But my Oldsmobile was not quite so fortunate. An Oldsmobile stands no test against a truck, and it crushed my car completely back to the front. You couldn't even tell to the front of the back seat what was there. My wife and daughter were just crushed and cut all to pieces. Both of them died right there. My three-year-old granddaughter sitting in the middle of the back, strapped in in a carryall like they're supposed to be strapped. And little Kelly Ringstaff, six years old, was sitting on the right-hand side, 
and her seatbelt held, but it threw her forward with such an impact that her head hit the seat in front of her and just busted her head open right here, backed about right here. And both of her pelvics were just crushed. They sent a helicopter over, to, and they got her out fairly quick, and they put her in a helicopter, and they took Caitlin, got her out, and they sent them over to Stephenville, which is only four miles, to the hospital. The doctor looked at the girls and said, forget it. Send them to Cook's. They're hopeless. So they flew them on to Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. When they got to Cook's, of course, they began to, the police officers began to call, and they found me. Finally, a police officer walked into the uh, church there, that Baptist church in Hearst, where I was teaching a healing school, and I had just started at 1 o'clock. And I saw this police officer walk in the back door. And one of the ladies went back to talk to him, and she called for me. So I went back there, and I said, can I help you, sir? He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, there's been an accident, sir. I said, are they injured? He said, sir, they're both deceased. I said, how about the two babies? He said, they're both in very, very critical condition, and they're in Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. I thanked him. Every scripture I'd ever taught came to my mind. God Mm -hmm. flooded me Mm -hmm. with his word. Mm -hmm. The story of Job came to my mind. I thanked him, and I turned, and I walked to the front of the group of people. And I told them what happened. I said, I want us to stop and worship the king. So we stopped, and probably for 15 minutes, we worshiped the king. And then I told them. I said, now I've got to go to Cook's Medical Center. And so I went home and got my son. I drove to Cook's Medical Center with my son. I told him what happened, that we'd lost mother and sister. And Caitlin and Kelly was not expected to live. But I said, son, I guarantee the little girls are going to live because I have the Word of God. Amen. I walked into the hospital room, and there was a precious lady there that was one of my wife's best friends, Charla Pepper. And she had already got there because she had been contacted at the church first. And so she was there, and the social worker told, was talking to her, and she said, How am I going to minister this to this man? Said, His wife is gone, his daughter is gone, the grandbaby's going to die, and the other little girl may die too. And Charlie said, Don't worry about this man. This man will minister to you. She knew me very well. I walked in, and the social worker met me, and she said, Sir, I've got to tell you, it's very bad. I said, Honey, don't worry. God's in control. He has everything under control. She said, You don't understand what this little girl looks like. I said, Honey, I'm a man that's not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by the Word of God. So I walked in, and I looked at my grandbaby. She was unrecognizable as a human being. Her seatbelt had been cut by a piece of steel that came all the way over the front of the car and cut her seatbelt. It missed her, but it turned her loose and it slammed her into the seat in front of her at 140 mile an hour closer speed face first. Tore her little face all to pieces. Her face was so swelled, blood was running out of her eyes, her ears, her nose, and her mouth. They had big gauze, gauze pads in her mouth and stuck in her nose to absorb the blood as it was running out. I looked at her, and the doctor walked in, and he said, Sir, she'll die any minute. I said, No, sir. She won't die. I said, I got the Word of God. I said, And Jesus told me himself in John 15, 7, 
if his words remain in me and I remain in him, then I can ask him anything and he'll do it for me. I said, I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus, according to that verse, to raise up my grandbaby and do such a mighty miracle of restoration on her that everybody in this place will know he did it. And the doctor said, sir, I'm sorry, that's not possible. See, we don't believe God's Word. I have got to where I can, and I'm grateful for all these times and experiences I'd had because God was so real to me, this book was so real, I knew he couldn't fail me unless I doubted his Word. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm a faith God without my word and without any doubt in my word. He said, if you doubt me, I won't do nothing for you. He clearly said that in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I knew all those verses. I had them hidden in my heart. I walked over to Kelly. She's six. She's not near as bad, but her head is tore open right here back to right here. And the doctor says, both pelvics are crushed. He said, she may live, but if she does, she, she may have brain damage. And said it'll be at least two and a half to three months before she walks. I said, no, sir. I do not receive that. I said, John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus said, before this day you have asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name anything you want to, and he will do it for you. So therefore, ask anything in my name that your joy may be full. Now, if Jesus hadn't have planned for me to use those promises, he shouldn't have put them in his book. Mm-hmm. But I think he planned for the church to use them. We just have been deceived by the enemy. That's right. So I took those verses and I told him, I said, I'm going to guarantee you my Jesus is going to raise up Kelly and do the greatest miracle of restoration you've ever seen in your life. I believe he meant what he said. He said, ask for anything and I'll do it. And so in one week, little Kelly Ringstaff was out of ICU. And in one more week, she's standing, walking in a walker. And in three days later, she's thrown away the walker and she's running and playing back in school at the middle of the two and a half weeks. Wow. Every doctor was blown away at what they saw God do. Of course. Her mother came busting into my house. She took Kelly after this, after she was raised up. She come busting into my house one day because our house was like her house. You know, she She'd come after her daughter so many years there, and my wife was her best friend. She'd come busting through the door, and I was sitting there on the phone. She said, Thurman, I never believed the miracles you told Betty when I was here. I said, I know, Don. You never did believe God did what I told my wife he was doing. But she said, now I have one of your miracles living in my house. She said, I came back from the doctor's office this morning. The doctor clearly said, Miss Ringstaff, if there's ever anybody that don't believe there's a God, You need to introduce them to your daughter. He said, I've been a doctor a long time, and I have never seen a child just with two crushed pelvics in a car wreck with a seatbelt. I have never seen a child walk short of two and a half months with a walker. I have certainly never seen one with her head busted open and her pelvics crushed and her to be out of the hospital running and playing back in school in two and a half weeks. He said, I only have one answer to this question, and it's God. Well... Three months later, I was over at their house or at a birthday party, and I knelt down there beside little Kelly, and I said, Honey, how are you doing? And she says, Oh, Thurman, I'm doing great. But she said, I've let my bangs grow down because those two big old scars on my head where my head was busted open. So I pulled her little hair up, and I looked and had two huge scars. I said, Honey, Jesus don't want those scars on there either, but he's got to have somebody pray the prayer of faith for you before he can take them off because he has limited himself on this earth to our prayers of faith. 
I said, he made us a promise, a double whammy in John 14, 13, and 14, where again he told me I could ask the Father in his name anything I want to, and he'll do it. So I said, Kelly, I'm going to quote those two promises to the king, and I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to remove those two scars, and I'm going to guarantee you he's going to take them off. I said, all you got to do is believe with me. I said, do you believe God? She said, oh, yes, sir, I believe. The next morning, little Kelly gets up, six years old, Runs in, before, runs in before the mirror, throws her hair up and looks and said, Mama, look, just what I thought. They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday. She said, doesn't Mr. Thurman do good work? Her mama said, honey, it's not Mr. Thurman. It's Jesus. Oh, she said, I know that, Mama. But she said, Mr. Thurman knows how to get God to do good things. <laughs> So in 30 days, her scars were completely gone off of her forehead. Today, she's nine years old. She's got the most beautiful little head. That was her story. But back to my granddaughter, she was far worse. Her brain stem was severed. The brain had come forward in the impact when her face hit the seat. The brain hit the inward part of the cavity of the skull, and when the two cars snapped back from the impact, it threw the brain to the back of the skull and disconnected it from the stem and the eyes. Brain is disconnected. Mm. The doctor said it's impossible for her to live. Mm -hmm. I told him, no, sir, with my Jesus, Luke 137 says, with God, nothing's impossible. Mm -hmm. I said, I believe that, sir. I said, I believe that in Ephesians 3.20, E Ephesians 3.20, when my Lord says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine according to the power that worketh in you. So this is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the king of the universe, he could have chose anywhere to live, but he chose to live in us that believe in him. Now all we've got to do is read the word and believe him and get rid of the trash in our lives and we stay healed and we walk with all of our needs met according to the word but you got to know the word if you don't know the word you cannot receive something by faith that you don't know is yours so when i walked in there and the doctor told me all the things that was wrong i said it doesn't make any difference her brain stem severed her eyes are disconnected her skull is fractured in five places her face is tore all to pieces they don't even know what's wrong with her lungs because she's bleeding everywhere. Ears, nose, mouth, eyes, blood's running out every hole in her body, everywhere. And then he said her right knee is crushed and her left leg is broken right below her knee and it's right above her ankle. I said, no problem. My Jesus, that's a piece of cake. I said, all I got to do is believe. So I begin to quote the word of God over that little girl. We come to the, that happened on Saturday. So the second Monday, which is be eight or nine days later, Dr. Marks at Cook's Medical Center, the head of neurology, called us in and said, Sir, I do not understand how this little girl has survived this week. But he said, We're going to pull the breathing tubes out of her this week. He said, When we pull the tubes out of her, she will die. I said, No, sir. She won't die because God made me promises, and I'm not doubting his word. He said, Sir, her brain is severed. He said, i just done the second MRI on this little girl, and he's the head of neurology, and he goes entirely by what he sees. He said, there's nothing attached to her brain. I said, nothing? He said, nothing. I said, how about her eyes? He said, no, sir. They're disconnected, too. I said, is there anything wrong with her eyes? He said, not anything wrong with the eyes, but said the cords that go from the eyes to the brain is disconnected, so it's like having two video cameras and no recorder attached. So he said, it would be impossible for her to ever see again. 
I said, she'll see again. He said, but there's nothing attached to her brain, nothing to tell her to cough, nothing to tell her to move, or nothing. So he said, it's impossible for this little girl to live. And then, that's when I asked him, sir, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, are you a Jewish Christian? He said, no, I'm just a Jew. I said, well, good. I said, my Jesus was a Jew, and he was the greatest physician in the universe. So I said, you're going to get to see a Jewish physician do the best work you've ever seen. I guarantee he's the best there is. And this is the way I'm talking to him, because I believe our Jewish Jesus is the most powerful thing that there ever was. Amen. And he's awesome, but you've got to believe his word with no doubt. He said, well, I just can't agree with you, but he said, we'll find out. He said, Thursday, we're going to pull the tubes and said, well, then we'll see. I said, well, she's going to live. Well, Dr. Davis, which is a precious Christian lady doctor, she walked into the room, first doctor that morning, and she said to me, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only man I've ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, you think my little granddaughter laying there is reality? She said, of course she's reality. I said, no, ma'am. I said, this magnificent book, the Word of God, is the only reality in the world. And I said, my Jesus, <coughs> which wrote this book by men that was inspired upon by the Holy Ghost, I said, he made me promises in this book. I said, Titus 1-2 says he cannot lie. So I said, I'm going to guarantee you he's going to raise this little girl and completely heal her and restore her. She didn't believe that. I said, here's the thing. Here's, I said, Dr. Davis, this is where you've trained yourself. You've trained yourself with your five physical senses. See, we go by what we see, smell, taste, hear, mm-hmm. and feel. Mm-hmm. We've trained ourselves with it, but we've never trained ourselves in the spirit mm-hmm. to live by faith. That's right. So I told her, I said, now, as the rest of the doctors and nurses came in, they're all getting ready to pull the tubes out of Caitlin. This is on Thursday. This is on Thursday. We've been in there a week and a half Mm -hmm. now, and she's not moved a muscle. I said, now, before you all pull the tube, I want to quote to you all one more time, John 15, 7. And I did. And I said, now, I'm going to guarantee you all on that verse that my Jesus is going to do what he said he would do. And he told me I could have anything I could ask him for. So I'm going to ask him. That when y'all pull those tubes, she's going to breathe over the machine on her own, and she's going to cough. And I guarantee he's going to do it because he said it. Now, see, if you don't come to him in faith, he don't do it. Mm-hmm. you got to believe mm-hmm. he'll do what he said he will do. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I had seen him do so many wonderful things by this time. I knew how real the king was. Although I can't see him, I know his word's real, and I can see it, and I can read it and hear it. So they all kind of bowed their head, thanking this crazy grandfather. They pulled the tubes, and little Caitlin breathed two points over the machine on her own and started coughing. She coughed ever so light. Every few minutes, she'd cough ever so light. And every time she would cough, one of the doctors sitting there would say, I can't believe this. (laughs) An hour later, they're still sitting there with their arms on the bed, spellbound, watching her breathe, just as steady, perfect as it can be. And every once in a while, she'd cough ever so lightly. And that's said, I can't believe this. I said, folks, I'm going to tell you all why you never get to see God do a miracle. It's because you don't believe him. Mm-hmm. I said, he has now confirmed what I said he was going to do from his word. 
You have seen it with your own eyes and you still will not believe what you've seen. I said, that's why we don't get anything from God is because we don't believe these promises. Well, I didn't understand why we were staying in Cook's Medical Center with Caitlin so long. Now, I'm not allowing them to do any surgeries or nothing. Just keep her comfortable. That's all. No surgeries. I don't let them do no surgery on the knees, on the legs, nothing. Of course, the brain stem and all that. No doctor in the world can put that back mm -hmm. together anyway, mm -hmm. so they don't even want to do surgery there. Right. I'm quoting the Word of God over her every day, powerful scriptures that God guarantees he'll do what he says he will do. And I'm praising him and thanking him. And I said, now, Lord, I don't want a single scar left on that little face. You told me I could ask for anything. So, Father, in Jesus' name, on behalf of scriptures like John 14, 13, and 14, where he says I can ask for anything, I said, I want you to heal that little face, and I don't want a mark or a scar left on that beautiful little face in Jesus' name. In two weeks, there was not a mark or a scar on that beautiful little face. He had healed every cut and bruise and not a mark in two weeks. Wow. Outstanding on the work. But I still can't understand why it's taking so long. But the middle of the first week... I was so bold in my faith, there was a young couple that had a little tiny baby in there that was supposed to die that night, little bitty guy. I led that little boy to Jesus that night. After I led the young man, the father, to Jesus that night when he told me his son was supposed to die that night, I told him, I said, now that you have confessed your sins and you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're just as if you had never sinned. The, that's what the Word of God says. So. I said, you'll never be in better shape for a miracle. So I said, where is your baby? He said, well, he's in there in ICU. He was only like a month and 20 days old or something like this. And was supposed to die that night. The doctor just told him he'd be dead before morning. I told him, where is his baby? And he told me. So we went into the room, and when him and his little wife took me in there, he was about 21 or 22, and she was about 19 or something, young couple. I went in there. I laid my hands on that little child. According to Mark chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Went and laid my hands on that little guy. Of course, he was such a teeny little thing. I laid those two fingers on his little tummy. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said, Lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. I said, Be healed in the name of Jesus. And I said, Thank you, Father. Then I turned to the couple, and I said, I guarantee your baby will get well. And by, that was 11 o'clock at night, that night. And by the next morning at 10, the little guy had pulled all the tubes out of himself, and he was ready to go home. The next day, they took him home. Now then, as they was taking him home, there was another little girl came in, and she was crying and screaming. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, my six-year-old son has just been shot in the park in Dallas. And said, they tell me he's not going to live. That young man says, they told us our baby wasn't going to live. You need to have this man pray for yours. So he'll get healed. And she said, sir, would you pray for my baby? I said, yes, honey. I'll be happy to, but there's some things I've got to know about you first. See, I've learned that no curse comes upon us undeserved. Mm -hmm. The devil does not have legal right to come in and shoot her baby in the park, except he have a legal claim. Mm -hmm. So somewhere I know some kind of sins in this family. I looked at this girl. I said, honey. I see, number one, you're pregnant. She said, what's that got to do with it? I said, maybe nothing, maybe everything. I said, are you married? She said, no. I said, was this child in your womb conceived in wedlock or out of wedlock? 
Well, she said, out of wedlock, I'm living with a boy. I said, honey, you've broken the law of God. He tells you no fornication, no sexual immorality be found among his people. You tell me you're a believer? She said, yes, I'm a believer. I said, you're accountable to the Word of God. You don't know what it says, or if you did, you broke his rules. I said, you've opened the door to the demonic world. I said, now, except you repent and turn from your wicked ways of living with this boy, there's nobody can heal your baby. He's going to die, I guarantee you. I said, do you want your son to live or die? Well, she said, sir, I want him to live. I said, I figured that. But I said, it's your choice. If you want him to live, you must repent tonight and make God a promise. You will not go back and go back to bed with that young boy out of wedlock. She said, and if I don't, I said, it's simple. Your son's going to die. She said, if I do, I said, he's going to live, I guarantee. She fell on her knees right there in front of everybody and said, Lord, I repent. I will not do this no more. I said, good. Now then the enemy, Satan's legal claim to this child has been removed. I said, where is your son? She took me into ICU there in Cook's Medical Center. I walked in there. I asked the young lady sitting there at the head of the uh, bed where the boy was, a nurse. He was so critical they had a nurse sitting there with him all the time. I said, son, I said, ma'am, what do you think about this little boy? Is he going to live or not? And she said, sir, I'm not allowed to tell you anything. I said, okay, but I'm the pastor. I come to pray for the little boy. Do you think he can possibly live? And she wouldn't say anything, but she said, you know what that means, don't you? Sure. No. She was not allowed to tell me anything. She didn't break any rules, but she shook her head. Since I was a pastor, she just nodded, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I walked around to the head of the bed and laid my hands on the little guy's side of his head. He'd been shot in the back, so there was not any damage to his head. I laid my hands on each side of his little ears, and I said, Satan, your legal claim to this boy has been removed. His mother has repented. Now, I demand that this evil spirit that's killing this boy, you leave him and not return. Amen. I said, now, Father, in Jesus' name, you told me in Mark 16, 17, and 18 to drive out the evil spirit to lay hands on the sick, and you will heal them. I said, thank you, Father, for your word, which is forever settled in heaven, which cannot be broken. I turned and told the young lady, I said, a guarantee on God's word, your son will recover. And I walked off. Two nights later, that nurse was in Caitlin's room. She walked in and she said, sir, I do not know what it is about your prayers. But she said, within 30 minutes after you prayed for that boy, that boy was out of danger. She said, in two hours, he was so stable, I knew he was going to have a supernatural recovery. But she said, the next morning, we sent him out of ICU to recovery upstairs. And that boy recovered very rapidly. He completely recovered. Hallelujah. From what I had learned about sickness and disease and problems... We don't realize that when God said in the Old Testament, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do in my word, I will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you will have none. Well, if we've got a new covenant with better promises today, and so much of the church is sick and afflicted, there must be a lot of sin loose somewhere. And that's what the problem has been. We've not walked holy before God. Mm -hmm. But when you walk holy before Him, He answers your prayers every time. Now then, Caitlin... I began to see this. Now then, I'm seeing Caitlin 
healed and recovering. But I'm wondering why we're so why we're not happening no faster than this. Kelly was out in two weeks mm-hmm. and two and a half weeks she's back in school running in place. So Lord, why am I in here so long with Caitlin? Well, I didn't have a clue what God's going to do, but He's in control. All you got to do is trust Him. As He healed those first two babies, then another uh, man walked in one night and says. Sir, there's a little woman out here who's got a four-year-old, and they tell her he's going to die tonight. Would you pray for this baby? I said, I'd be happy to. So I go out there and I sit down. Are you spending most of your time at the hospital? Oh, yeah. I'm I can see what's almost happening. all okay. the time. I mean, I'm spending maybe five or six hours at home. The rest of the time I'm in the hospital, and I'm praying for sick babies and praying over Caitlin. When I'm in Caitlin's room, i got the Word of God open, reading the Word of God over her. When I'm gone, I leave my son and my son-in-law there with the Word of God reading the promises over her. I mean, we're bathing her in the Word of God. You know, that's where the power is at. God said, I sent forth my Word and healed him in Psalms 107, verse 20. Mm -hmm. He didn't send forth anything but the Word. Mm -hmm. The Word is what heals us. So anyway, we were covering her with the Word. Then I was asked to come out and pray for this four-year-old. So I went out there that night, and when I went in, I sat down, and I began to ask this mother, if she was a Christian, her mother was there, if she was a Christian, and all the normal questions that I've learned to ask. All of a sudden, a man walks in, and he said, Sir, I need to see you outside. Well, I mean, I thought he was with a family, you know, so he was dressed nice with a suit and a tie and everything, so I got up and walked out the door. And as soon as we walked out the door, he said, You can't do what you're doing here in this hospital. I said, Sir, all I'm doing is telling this woman what she needs to do to get her baby healed. He said, I know, I heard you. But he said, you can't do this in this hospital. I said, sir, who are you? He said, I'm one of the chaplains. I said, mm-hmm. you're a chaplain in Cook's Medical Center? I said, well, let you and me go back in there and get that baby healed. <laughs> he said, no, you go back in there. And he said, I'll send two armed guards to remove you from this hospital. I said, sir, you can't be serious. He said, I'm very serious. He said, in fact, if you go back in there and pray for that child, I'll bar you from this hospital, and you'll not be allowed even back to see your own granddaughter. I said, wow. So I said, well, okay, I won't go back in there. And so I left and went back to Caitlin's room, and that little four-year-old boy died that night. See, we don't realize what's going on in the world. But the next day, a little girl came to me and asked me if I would come up to her room and pray over her son. And I said, honey, I'm going to Louisville to minister. I said, I'll... I'm going to be late. I said, is your son critical? She said, no, he's not critical, but I just want you to come minister to him. I've heard what God's doing when you pray for people. I said, would tomorrow be okay? She said, that'll be fine. So the next day, I came in the hospital that morning before I went to Caitlin's room. I went straight right in the hospital, right to the elevator, right upstairs to the fourth floor, right down the room, walked right in the room where it was, and closed the door. Now, I'm assuming they have cameras all over the hospital. I'm assuming I mean, I'm sure they do in that facility. And somebody's watching what's going on because there's no way they could have known what happened. I went in that room, and I hadn't been ministering to this boy, but a few minutes when a man with a suit and a tie walked on, he said, Sir, I need to see you outside. I said, Ma'am, do you know who this gentleman is? And she said, No. I said, Well, I don't know you either, sir, but this mother has asked me to come in and pray with this boy. I said, Then when I get through in here, then I'll come outside. But not before. So I said, if you'll just step outside, I'll be out there in a few minutes. So I stayed, finished, got everything done there, prayed over the boy, and he was miraculously healed. I went outside, 
And there stands a man with a suit and a towel with a man with a gun, an armed guard. I said, and who might you be? He said, I'm the head chaplain in Cook's Medical Center. I said, and what could I do for you? He said, I need you to go upstairs to my office. I said, what for? He said, I just want to talk with you. I said, okay. So I went upstairs with him. The guard went with us, walked in and closed the door. He said, you pray for another child in this hospital, and I will file a warrant for your arrest, and I'll have you removed from this hospital, and you'll never be allowed back in this hospital again. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, would you tell me what your God's name is? He said, Jehovah. I said, but would his son's name happen to be Jesus? He said, that's none of your business. I said, now I know who I'm dealing with. The same religious demons that was in the Pharisees and Sadducees 2,000 years ago when Peter and John healed the lame man at the gate of the temple. I know who I'm dealing with. I said, you guys are in trouble. I said, I want your card and this man's badge number. He said, what do you want that for? I said, I know the king of the universe in his name is Jesus, and I'm going to bring you guys' name before the king. And he's going to do something to let me pray for the sick kids in this hospital. So the man gave me his card, and I wrote the man's badge number, and I got up and walked out of there. And he said, as I walked out, he said, you pray for another child. I'll have you physically removed from this hospital. I said, sir, I'm going to pray for anybody in this hospital I want to. And I walked downstairs, and a woman met me in the hall and said, would you come to the room and pray for my baby? I said, no. I'll stand right here in the hall, and I'll raise my hands and ask the Jesus that we serve to heal him from right here. I said, he don't need me in that room. He can do it from right here. And so I prayed for that baby, and that baby was healed. <laughs> then I went on down, and I went back in Caitlin's room. I left there that afternoon, and next Monday morning, I went to church, and then I went to work the next morning, Monday morning, for the first time in two weeks. This is two weeks have passed now. I went to work to check my voicemails and emails because I was an engineer. And I walked in the workplace, and the phone rang, and a young man called me. He said, Thurman, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a week. And I said, well, sir, I've been out in the hospital. I'm over at Cook's Medical Center. And I said, I've had a trauma in my life, and my grandbaby is over there in the hospital. He said, in Cook's Medical Center? He said, if you have any problems over there, just let me know, said the CEO of that hospital's in my Sunday school class. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'd ask God Sunday to do something to get me permission. Uh -huh. See, you always go to the king, see? That's right. So the king makes everything happen. Uh -huh. I said, Father, this is, this is yours and Jesus' business and the Holy Ghost. This is not mine. I'm just doing what you tell me to do. So I said, I'd ask you to do something to give me the privilege to pray for these babies. And so the phone call came. The man happened to be in the same Sunday school class with Mr. Tolman, which was the CEO of the hospital. And I told him what the problem was. He said, Thurman, I don't believe that. I said, well, believe it. It happened. So he said, I'm going to call Mr. Tolman have him check this out. So he called Mr. Tolman. Mr. Tolman called Miss Sarah Saylor down at Cook's Medical Center. And she said, yes, sir, that's true. She said, we have never seen the miracles that's happened since this man's been here. She said, they're happening all over the place. She said, all these babies that our doctors are saying are going to die. When this man touches them in the name of Jesus, they're all getting well. He said, you take a letter and you take it to that man. And you tell that man he has my approval to pray for any child in that hospital he wants to as long as the parents ask him to do it. So she brought me a letter and hand carried it to me and gave it to me and told me, you have approval, sir. 
to pray for any child you want to in this hospital. Well, the next Monday morning, I was walking down the corridor, and I come around the corner, and I met Steve, the head chaplain. And I said, good morning, Steve. How are you doing? He said, Thurman, we had a meeting about you this morning. And I said, what was the outcome? He said, we have decided you are the only man we have ever met in our life that's serious about what he does for God. I thought, what a sad statement to make. That is so sad. But I am very serious about what I do for God. So anyway, we finally got out of the hospital in 30 total days without a single surgery. The doctors didn't understand how this little girl had lived. They didn't understand how she's breathing. They didn't understand how her face had been miraculously healed. But she still couldn't walk. She still couldn't set up. I took her home. They wanted me to take a wheelchair. And I said, I will not take a wheelchair. I do not need a wheelchair. She will never sit in a wheelchair. Dr. Mark said, I have never seen anything like this, but I do not understand. This girl will never walk. I said, sir, I do not receive that curse in the name of Jesus. I said, she will walk because Jesus said I can ask for anything. This is where we miss it in our miraculous long-term healings. We've come to believe that only God, when he does something, he only does a miracle. Mm -hmm. But there's a vast difference between the gift of miracles and healing. Healing is a guarantee to every believer every time, if you're willing, to stand in the gap and confess your sins. Every time. Every one of us. He doesn't tell you how long it'll take. I've seen people healed with miracles instantaneously. I've seen them healed in a few days to a few weeks to a few months. But you must make sure your sins are confessed, you're walking holy before him, and then you're believing his word with no doubt in your heart. And you've got a promise. And when you do that, he'll heal you every time. Well, we go home. We go home, and I set little Caitlin up in the bed, and I take the name of Jesus, and I command her little body to be strong, to set up in Jesus' name. And I turn her loose, and she falls down. I pick her back up and say, Caitlin, honey, I command your body to be strong in the name of Jesus. And I do that over and over and over. I'd let her take a break, and I'd take a rest, and in an hour or two, I'd come back and do it again. And I'd done that over and over for several days until she could set up. And then I'd take her out to the bed and stand her up. I said, now, command your legs to be strong in the name of Jesus. And I'd turn her loose, and she'd just fall down between my hands. I'd pick her back up, just like when you was teaching your children to walk. You pick them up and say, walk. And they're wobbling, and you turn them loose, and they fall down. Well, you didn't quit there, did you? You picked them back up and tried it again. But I'm using the name of Jesus. And it wasn't but a few days till she could walk. Now then, she's standing, she's sitting, she's standing, and now she's walking. And then a therapist comes to the house. And she's sitting on the couch. The therapist walked in. She said, I come out to give a little bit of therapy to this little girl, Caitlin. Said, would you show me where she's at? I said, honey, that's her sitting there on the couch. She looked at her, and she looked at her paperwork, and she said, sir, that can't be Caitlin. I said, why can't it be Caitlin? She said, this report says her brain stem is severed. Mm -hmm. I said, honey, don't you think I know who my granddaughter is? (laughs) I said, that's her, but that's the result of what happens when you don't doubt the word of God. And I said, Caitlin, honey, come over here to granddaddy. She slid off the edge of the couch and walked across. She's still totally blind. She can't see a thing, but she hears my voice. Mm -hmm. She walks across. This little therapist is blown away. So she checks her and she said, I I just can't hardly believe this. I said, well, honey, believe it. This is what Jesus' name does to people. And so then 
By January the 6th, actually on December the 30th, I took her back for a checkup. This all happened on October the 13th, and we went for a month, and we come out, and a few days later on December the 30th, I took her back to Cook's for a checkup. And Dr. Marks, which when I took her out, said she had never walked. She's walking down the corridor holding my finger because she's blind. We walk around the corner, and Dr. Marks sees her. He runs over there. He grabs her. He picks her up, takes her in his office, and sets her down. And he starts shaking her knees and everything, listening to her heart and everything. And I said, Dr. Marks, what do you think about my Jesus now? And he said, sir, all is, I got... Is this a Jewish doctor? This is a Jewish okay. doctor. I, he said, sir, all I got to say is somebody a whole lot bigger than me put this little girl back together. Mm -hmm. And I said, sir, his name is Jesus. And he was a Jewish doctor. And he loved you, the Jewish man, with all your heart, all his heart. And he wants you to become one of his Jewish converts. Amen. And so far, I don't know what Dr. Marx has ever done with that, but at least I presented the gospel to yes, him with a demonstration of with God's a demonstration power. Of power. I mean, as a doctor sees this, he's got to realize, mm -hmm. even his own words, said somebody a whole lot bigger than me put this little girl together. Mm -hmm. I said, do you think she'll ever see again? He said, after what I've seen, yes. Hallelujah. He said, I believe she'll see again. Hallelujah. I said, she will, I guarantee so a week later, on January the 6th, we had opened a brand new Baptist church in Justin, Texas. We had just got through building this thing. I've been a member of that Baptist church for a long time, several years. We built a brand new one. And that Sunday, we had 400 people there. Brand new sanctuary in Justin, Texas. Brand new, beautiful little Baptist church. I made the announcement that day. I said, you know, my little granddaughter is still not seeing now, we didn't have a pastor at that time. We had an interim pastor from the seminary, but we was without a pastor. We did have a youth leader, but not a pastor. And uh, uh, we had, a, like I say, an interim pastor from the seminary come over and preach for us for a few Sundays. I said, I would like to invite anyone that believes that God will do what he says he will do in his word. Now, this, I'm going to quote a half a dozen mighty blank checks where God says, Ask anything in my name. Agree on anything in my name. Matthew 18, 19, and so forth. And he promised. So anybody that believes God will do what he said he will do, I invite you to a prayer meeting this afternoon at 2 o'clock right here in this brand new sanctuary. And we're going to see God open the eyes of my grandbaby. And 30 of them showed up. Hallelujah. That's not bad. No. In a Baptist church, have 30 people that come and believed. So, praise the Lord, 30 of them came, and then about 10 friends from other churches, other kinds, because I was associated by this time with many other denominations. I mean, I've spoken in several different kinds of churches now. But anyway, we all gathered in a big circle, and we all prayed, and it took about two hours for all of us to pray and praise and worship the King. And after two hours, I said, that's enough. We prayed this through. The king has heard us. I said, the healing is in the process. I guarantee Caitlin will see again. Three weeks later, that little girl opened her eyes and could see for the first time since October the 13th. You don't never give up with God. So we continued to stand. Now, there's, that got her face fixed. That got her arms working, got her brainstem reconnected, got her eyes reconnected. She's walking, everything. Now then, there's one other major thing that's wrong. When we left the hospital, the doctor told us, he said, now the little flapper valve in the back of her throat does not work. 
He said, I don't know why everything else appears to be working, but the flapper valve is definitely not working, so you can't feed her anything by mouth. He said, if you do, it'll run directly into her lungs and it'll kill her. Mm -hmm. So he said, we put a little button in her tummy. They'll take a little plug out. We'll give you a little pump. You pump this liquid food in in the morning, in the afternoon, and then at night for her to eat. That's the way she'll eat, through this liquid food. Mm -hmm. I thought, no problem. I mean, I got a powerful promise in God's Word in Mark 11:24. Mark 11:24 says, Whatever you desire, okay. when you pray, believe you have received, and it shall be yours. Well, now see, I thought I believed that. I, you heard me say, I thought I believed that. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't understand the full concept of the verse. So I took her home, and I began to pray every day, Mark 11:24, and thank and praise the king for the fixing of the valve. Well, I would praise him every day and thank him for fixing the valve. The doctor said, bring her back in two months, and we'll check the valve. Well, at two months, I fully expected it to work. We took her back, and it wouldn't work at all. Not at all. I thought, Lord, I don't understand this. Why? We bring her back home. I pray over that valve. I use Mark 11:24. I praise him and thank him for two months, and we take her back, and it don't work. I, Lord, I don't understand. So we bring her back, and I do it again. I do this over and over every two months for ten months, and the valve don't work. After ten months... I get home after the 10th month, and I look up and I said, Lord, the problem's got to be with me. The Word of God is forever settled in heaven, and it can't fail me. I said, I thought I believed that verse, Lord. I said, now, Lord, in Psalm 66, 18, you said you don't hear the prayer of a sinner. I said, have I got a sin in my heart? Is there something wrong? I said, Romans 14, 23 says, anything I do that's not of faith is sin. I said, am I doing that verse wrong, Lord? I said, let me go back and open the Bible and take that verse apart word by word, like I used to do my engineering manuals. I have to open the Bible and it says, whatever you desire. I stopped right there. I said, Lord, I desire that the valve in my grandbaby's throat work. You never used the word desire. Oh, yeah, I oh, used yeah. it all. Oh, yeah, I'd used every bit of it. I'd quoted it to the Lord. I knew that verse exactly to the letter. I mean, I could have spelled it backwards, word by word, letter by letter. I thought, but I still didn't have revelation on it. Now, see, when the Holy Spirit says that no scriptures of private interpretation, but only as revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, he meant that. Well, I was not using the verse correctly. I didn't know what I'd done wrong. But now I'm taking it apart and asking him to give me revelation what I've done wrong. Because the Word of God cannot fail us. We either doubt or we sin or we do something wrong. The problem's always with us and never with God's Word. Whatever I desire. And I said, I desire the valve work in Caitlin's throat. When I pray. Uh-oh. When I pray. Not two months later when I go to the doctor to see if it's working. When I pray, believe 
I have received it, and you shall have it. I said, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. You said anything that's not of faith is sin. I sinned because I didn't believe your word exactly like it's written. I said, Father, forgive me in the name of Jesus for that sin. I said, now in 1 John 1:9, you clearly said, if I confess my sins, you're righteous and just to forgive me and restore me to fellowship. I said, Lord, I've been out of fellowship with you all this time. But now I'm restored to fellowship because I've got all my sins confessed. I'm walking holy before you again. I said, now, Father, on behalf of Mark 11:24, I desire the vow work in Caitlin's throat. I ask you to fix it. And thank you, Lord, it's done. And you believed. And I believed. I walked across the street to her house. Her daddy's name's Toby. I said, Toby, God's waiting on me and you. He said, what do you mean? I said, feed her. He said, Thurman, I'm not going to feed her. I said, sure. He said, Thurman, two weeks ago we just come back from the doctor. I've been meditating on this verse now for two weeks. He said, we just brought her back from the doctor two weeks ago and that valve did not work. I said, Toby, it didn't work two weeks ago. And it didn't work this morning. But it works right now. He said, how do you know? I said, because the Word says it does. He said, now Thurman, if I feed her and she dies, I said, Toby... The doctor said she'd never live. He said, that's true. I said, she alive? He said, yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never see. I said, can she see? He said, yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never move a muscle. I said, can she run and play? He said, yes. I said, so everything we've done, I've done by faith from God's Word to bring a little girl back from the dead and get everything in her body working except this one little thing. We still can't feed her with her mouth. But I said, the Word of God has the answer. I said, now, Toby, you're going to have to believe God with me for this miracle to see it happen. If you don't believe me, there's doubt in our heart, and he's never going to fix that valve. What are you telling me i got to do? I said, feed her. And I said, I guarantee you, on the Word of the living God, when you do, that valve's going to work, and it's going to work perfect, because the Word of God says so. Because you've been scared to, to do it. Because of the pump, they told you not to do it. I got well, it. Sure. I mean, okay. you got to realize, if I'm wrong, yeah. my only granddaughter mm -hmm. is going to die. Mm -hmm. But God will put you to the test. Amen. He wants to know, do you believe me? Did he put Abraham to the test? Mm -hmm. Oh, did he ever. He waited 25 years for that one and only son. When he finally got him, when he got grown, he told him to take him out and kill him. Mm -hmm. That would put you to the test, wouldn't it? But Abraham was obedient. And God knew then that he was, loved him more than anything mm -hmm. else. And so I took the word. And my son-in-law mixed up a little bowl of applesauce and a little bottle of juice. And he set it on the table. And I hollered, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She come running in there. I said, honey, jump up there to the table and eat you a bowl of applesauce. Boy, she jumped up there at the table and grabbed that little spoon and went to eating that stuff. She <laughs> ate that bowl of applesauce. And she drank that little bottle of juice. And she jumped down and run and play. Mm, hallelujah. And for the next six weeks, we fed her normal every day. And then the twelfth month come by. We took her back down to the doctor. And the doctor checked the valve. He said, I would never have believed this in a million years. He said, after 10 months, that valve didn't work a lick. But he said, today, it's working perfect. He said, you can start feeding her now. <laughs> we have been. We have been for six weeks. And he thought we were crazy. Uh -huh. 
But see, Hallelujah. that's the difference in faith, faith. Mm -hmm. and going by your five physical senses. Mm -hmm. Now, that's why the majority of people don't get healed because, number one, they got a sin of some kind in their life. And the enemy comes upon them. Now, if they don't have a sin in their life and the enemy comes to put you to the test, 999 out of 1,000 Christians don't know their owner's manual. That's right. So when the pain comes upon them, they will immediately agree with the enemy instead of God's Word. Mm -hmm. The average person, and I've seen hundreds and thousands of people healed when I teach them these principles. The pain comes. Yeah. It came because the enemy came and put the pain on you. See, he, he, had believed. No, he had no claim to you, but he was coming and putting the pain on you, waiting to see what you were going to say about it. Now, you're going to condemn yourself with your own tongue. The Lord says in the book of Proverbs, we're snared by the words from our mouth. Proverbs 18:21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 says, life is ours and death is ours. The world is ours. The present is ours. The future is ours. All things are ours. We don't know the Word of God. That's why the enemy beats up on us. So when he comes upon us and puts a symptom or a pain upon us, if we agree with him, then we have just sinned, mm. and he has right to continue to make us sick. Wow. When you learn these great and awesome promises, and you begin to stand on them with no doubt in your heart, you will begin to see God do some of the most awesome things you've ever seen. And in the last ten years, I couldn't even begin to tell you the hundreds and even thousands of miraculous healings and miracles I have seen the king of the universe do when I use his name in bold faith. But I will say, as a Southern Baptist, I caught a lot of flack for what I taught until this miracle with my granddaughter and Kelly and cleaning out of Cook's Medical Center of all these babies that were healed. Now, we didn't get every one of them healed because some of the parents wouldn't believe. They mm -hmm. wouldn't let me pray. Mm -hmm. But all of them that did, wow. God healed these babies. Well, it had to start with the parents to begin with. Yes. yes. Because they were without sin. Yes. Okay. And see, this. let me tell you this other little story right quick. I see we've got just a few minutes left. We ha I have a young woman in my church that has been coming probably a year and a half, and she's learned these principles. And she had a cousin just recently that had a baby a little baby girl, and there was something wrong with the little girl when she was born. And it happened to be her liver, and her liver was failing. And the doctors told the mother, you better spend as much time with your little girl as you can because she will never go home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Well, when her cousin was called, and the one that goes to my church, she went to see her and began to quiz her about this little girl. She said, I didn't know you had gotten married. Oh, she said, I haven't. She said, you mean you brought a little girl into the world in sexual sin? Well, she said, I've been living with this boy, but what's the big deal? Now, this girl is a Christian, supposedly, yeah. but she don't know anything about yeah. the Word of God. Her church has not taught her what sin really is. So she moved in with a young man. They brought a young girl into the world, and the devil has legal claim to the baby because of the parent's sin. Mm -hmm. He's killing the baby. This girl that goes to my church, I've taught these principles in my church. She told her, she said, you repent tonight and you move out from that boy. And when you do, I'm going to pray for that baby and God's going to heal that baby. She said, I've learned so many things going to the Living Savior Church in North Dallas. She said, that man has taught us the word of God. 
So that girl repented that night and moved out from that young boy. And when she got her sins repented and told God she would move out, this young woman that goes to my church, which I say young woman, she's about 40 probably because she's taught a couple of grown sons herself, nearly grown. She goes in there into that room. Now, the baby is in some kind of an incubator under glass, Mm -hmm. can't touch her. Mm -hmm. But she lays her hands on the glass. And she said, Father, in Jesus' name, my cousin has repented of her sins. And you heard her. So she said, Satan, your claim to this baby is removed. And you're not going to kill this baby. My Jesus told me to cast you out. And I've now learned that I have to get the sin confessed first. So she said, the sin has been taken care of. So the curse is removed. I'm laying my hands on this glass. I'm commanding you to leave. And, Father, you understand I can't get to this child to touch her. But by faith, I'm laying my hands on this baby. said, I claim her healed in the name of Jesus. And within one to two hours, that little girl was completely, perfectly healed. And a couple of Sundays ago, the grandmother had that little baby in my church holding her in her arms as she's looking around at everybody. And she came and gave that testimony in my church. Wow. Praise God. You see why I'm having such tremendous results getting people healed? Amen. Well, the church has got to wake up. Yes. The church must wake up that sin is what opens the door to the enemy. Sin is sin, and it doesn't change no matter what they show you on TV. What what are we going to do with the prayer requests that's come in? Well, first of all, for all these people that have sent in prayer requests, I must ask them to make sure that they repent of their sins. If you've been speaking evil about someone, you need to repent. And that means change your ways. Mm-hmm. If you're living with somebody out of wedlock, that means repent tonight and, and turn from your wicked ways. If you have been holding a grudge against someone, you must forgive that person from your heart. Because if I had time to explain to you tonight that when you hold a grudge against someone, the Heavenly Father sends the tormenting spirits to torment you and to even to bring sickness and disease. And it's clearly laid out in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Verse 35, Jesus is just speaking. He says, Peter, this is the way my Heavenly Father will do each of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. So if you want a demon sent to you or an evil spirit sent to you from the Father to torment you, which nobody can cast out, just keep holding a grudge. You, nobody can cast them out. So you must repent. You must forgive. You must believe God's Word. You must repent of all unbelief. And then you must find yourself a promise in God's Word that guarantees you can have what you ask Him for. And then you come to Him on behalf of that Scripture. And I don't know the people that's listening. I don't know how many they remember. But tonight I've quoted many Scriptures yes, from God's Word. Many. But you must have one of those. If you have one of those, then this word is called the sword of the Spirit. And the only thing the enemy is afraid of is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when you pull your sword out, if you've got a nice, long, sharp sword, you can cut the devil asunder with your sword. (laughs) If you don't have it, if you reach down and pull it out, and the only thing you have is the handle, you're not much of a threat to the enemy. So if you're willing to repent... Begin to hide God's Word in your heart. Go to church. Do what the King says. Become an obedient son or daughter. Amen. In fact, I will guarantee people that will repent and turn from their wicked ways and start serving God. Go to church. Serve Him. Love Him. Read His Word. 
talk to him every day. Tell him in the morning when you wake up how much you love him. Begin to claim his promises. And once you repent and walk in love, then as you claim the mighty promises of God, then by his stripes you are healed and you won't never have to have another sick day. Now, I've walked in this for 20 years. I'm not telling you something I haven't experienced. God will do exactly what he says. In fact, does that mean in 20 years I've had not had any kind of encounters? No. Only a few weeks ago, I got bit right here on the arm with a brown recluse spider. Those are very deadly. Mm -hmm. For anybody that don't know what a brown recluse is, they set up a rotting in the skin almost Mm -hmm. immediately. And if you don't get to a doctor quick, you can lose an arm or a Mm -hmm. big chunk of flesh. Mm -hmm. I know that Mark chapter 16, verse 18 says, No deadly poison shall hurt me. Mm -hmm. Plus it says, Lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. So I come against the enemy, which bit me, through a brown recluse spider. I had absolutely no fear in my heart. The next day, or by the end of the day, my arm right here was swelled twice its size. By the next morning, it was swelled from my wrist to my shoulder. I still didn't have any doubt. I continued to confess the word and praise God. By Saturday, my arm was swelled so tight, I couldn't hardly bend it. But I continued to praise God. I did finally cut a little hole in my armor and squeeze some of the pus and the stuff out of it. And it got a little bit better after I did that. And Sunday, I went ahead and preached. I wore a long sleeve shirt where nobody could see my arm swell. And by the next Friday, my arm was completely healed without a mark. With wow. no doctor calls, mm-hmm. I trusted the Word of God. Mm-hmm. See, in Psalms 103, the Lord clearly tells us, And bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. Bless the Lord mm-hmm. all time, regularly. And then he says, Forget not the Lord's benefits. And the first one is, I forgive all of your iniquities. Number two, I heal all of your diseases. Then he says he saves us from the destruction and crowns us with loving kindness. Then he says, I satisfy your mouth daily with good things. And then he says, I renew your youth daily like the eagles. With a benefit package like that, we as Christians, if we learn those promises and claim them every day, we can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. We can live a great, abundant life. So now then, I don't know, do we have three minutes left? We've got three minutes. Three minutes. Then what we need to do for everyone out there that's listening, they need to make sure their sins are confessed. They need to grab a hold of one of these promises. If you don't know know one, you need to go to God's Word and you need to get one. And they need to stop doing the sin. Oh, they got to stop when when repent means Jesus, Jesus told the man that he healed at the pool, of the pool, the beautiful pool, he said, now go and leave your life of sin lest something worse come upon mm-hmm. you. Now, there's a message there. If Jesus heals us, the thing you want to do is stop sinning. Amen. Because sin is what brings sickness and disease. Start believing the Word. And if you'll do that, I guarantee the King of the universe will heal you. Now then, if you'll do that, if you'll repent, go to church, tithe, All those things that's required, and promise the Lord you'll serve Him and love Him. Then we'll pray the prayer of faith for you, and if you'll receive this prayer. Because for everybody that's listening, Jesus made you an awesome promise that's so easy to remember, and everybody can lock on to this, and since they're one, and I'm one, and we're on earth, and if their sins are confessed, mine are certainly confessed, we will meet the criteria, and I have used this verse 
to get more people healed than any other single verse in the entire Word of God. And it's Matthew 18, 19. And it says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So for everybody that's listening, that's sent in a prayer request tonight, which there's many here, I hold them in my hands. I ask you to ask the Lord to forgive you. I ask you to turn from your wicked ways. I ask you to agree with me with Matthew 18, 19. And if you don't know where that's found, open your Bible. You have to look in the index. Go to the first book mm-hmm. of the New Testament, Matthew 18, 19, and read that promise and then hang on to it. Don't let the devil cheat you out of it. And now then, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you. If you repent, I guarantee you God's going to heal you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you for your word. Lord, as I catch myself up into the third heaven, because you said in Hebrews 4.16 to come into the throne of grace, which is in the third heaven, in times of need for mercy. So, Lord, I realize there's a lot of people out there tonight that have needs. And they're looking for mercy. So, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to be merciful to those people. And on behalf of Matthew 18, 19, I ask you to heal and restore every one of them. And every prayer request that was sent in tonight, Lord, I ask you to meet it. And, Lord, I am in agreement with them. And if they're in agreement with me, I ask them to say out loud, I agree with this man and the Word of God in the name of Jesus. And then thank him and praise him for your answer. And if you will do that, you will be healed. And some of you will be healed instantly right now in the name of Jesus. I praise you and thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was quite a night. Thank you. Thank you. Get healed, believe it, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem.